You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. in San Francisco and this is Bloomberg Technology coming up. Ryan Cohen sells out. Shares of Bed Bath & Beyond are plunging after the meme stock idol sold his stake. We'll explain why he did it. And some of Silicon Valley's richest execs and investors are campaigning against multifamily housing coming to their neighborhood, including Mark Andreessen. Yes, the investor who just gave controversial WeWork founder Adam Newman a huge check to re-envision, well, rental housing. And last year was the most lavish on record for executive paychecks by almost any measure. More than 30 public company executives were paid $100 million in 2021, according to the Bloomberg Pay Index. We will dig in. Well, let's get back to that Bed Bath & Beyond stock, the latest meme stock target sliding. Activist investor Ryan Cohen first sparked this frenzy when his firm, RC Ventures, disclosed a 9.8% stake back in March and called for a sale of the company. Shares have plunged now that Cohen has officially taken his stake to zero. I want to bring in Bloomberg's John Edwards for more on this. John, what sort of intel do we have on why Ryan Cohen sold out here? Well, we haven't heard from him uh, directly yet, but it looks like he's just lost patience with uh, this uh, this struggling retailer. You know, he came in, uh, you know, uh, back in the spring uh, in uh, in March, thinking that he could uh, really affect a turnaround here, uh, and it looks like uh, he has uh, lost patience with that and uh, bailed out. Um, you know, he. Uh, he made a lot of uh, changes. Uh, you know, he, he brought in three uh, independent directors. Uh, then in June, um, you know, as uh, that uh, patient started wearing thin, uh, he um, sort of uh, backed the ouster of the CEO, Mark Tritton. Uh, and, um, you know, the thought then was that uh, Cohen thought that, uh, you know, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond should sell its, uh, either sell itself entirely or uh, sell its bye-bye baby unit, which is doing better than the rest of the chain, but uh, it looks like he has just run out of uh, patience and uh, Bed Bath & Beyond has uh, run out of time with him at least. Walk 
us through the timeline because obviously earlier in the day there was this filing from RC Ventures. They might sell. Then we learn uh, they have officially sold out. Is there any potential for regulatory scrutiny here? Uh, yeah, you know, some uh, uh, some shareholders have made some noise about uh, you know filing uh, complaints about uh, the way that uh, that Cohen has handled this. You know, he uh, again came into the stock with a lot of fanfare, and then uh, you know there was that uh, filing that uh, was made officially on on uh, Tuesday, but disclosed yesterday that uh, they were thinking about uh, getting out of their entire stake, and then of course. Uh, the new filing that they have indeed uh, taken their stake down to zero. So uh, a lot of these uh, you know, retail investors who piled into the stock are uh, certainly uh, upset uh, with Cohen at this point, and uh, some might be looking to take action, but uh, it's unclear if, if he's actually done anything uh, you know, uh, wrong uh, per se. All right, we will keep following that. Bloomberg's John Edwards, thank you for that update. Meantime, billionaires living in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the world are pushing back on plans for more housing. Top investors and executives from Apple, Facebook, Google, and more want to stop California from allowing businesses and multifamily housing in Atherton. One of the most vocal is none other than Mark Andreessen. Bloomberg's Ellen Hewitt wrote about the pushback in Bloomberg Business Week. So uh, talk to us about what's going on here. So there was just this interesting moment where public comment in the town of Atherton was put online and people discovered that, um, you know, even though Mark Andreessen uh, has been very vocal publicly about the need for states like California to build more in order to fix its housing shortage, turns out when people propose um, changes in the town of Atherton that would allow for multifamily housing, the neighbors get very upset. And Atherton is the richest place in America, and that's why the people who are upset tend to be some of the biggest names in tech. So as you mentioned, execs and VCs. So let's, uh, we actually have the letter from Mark Andreessen. He says he's writing to communicate his immense objection to the creation of multifamily housing in Atherton. Please immediately remove all multifamily housing. This is in all caps. Uh, overlay zoning projects. Um, they will massively decrease our home values and immensely increase the noise pollution and traffic. And you referenced a blog post that he wrote a couple of years ago that it's time to build, uh, indicating, you know, it, it was, it was you know, pretty big picture, not a lot of details about what he was saying it was yeah. time to build and how. Um, but this, of course, on the back of a very big check he wrote to the controversial founder of WeWork, Adam Newman, to re-envision housing. There's some irony here. <laughs> I think it's just the classic NIMBY mentality, which stands for, as you probably know, not in my backyard. Of course, we want housing, but as soon as it's proposed in Atherton, which many people, you know, Atherton is just a strange town. It's extremely wealthy. All the big names live there, and they, they like it because it's private and because it's really not dense, and, um, you know, they're surrounded by other very rich neighbors, and so there's a, a strong, um, well, of course, we'd like housing, but not, you know, not where I live, um, and I think that's just um, a very common attitude, and it's funny to see it show up here. And it's not just Mark Andreessen, you know, a number of different folks posting here. You, you singled out a quote from Anthony Noto, the CEO of SoFi talking about how you know, his family has had to get private security because crime is on the rise. Can we substantiate that? 
No, I mean, I think it's just, it's bringing up all these fears that people have about increased housing, which honestly, in my opinion, are, you know, tend to be fear around change. Like, they like the town the way it is. I'm, you know, one of the quotes in the story is, you know, Atherton, as we know it, will come to an end, and, and only you are to blame for that, speaking to the, the town councils. Given that you reported so heavily on WeWork and Adam Newman, what's your take on, on this Andreessen check? I think that they want to send a really strong, a little trollish signal saying like, hey, we're not afraid to back founders who have had, um, you know, a lot of bad press around some of their ba their past examples and that we really believe in kind of the iconoclastic, brash person at the head of a company. Um, whether that's going to end up being a smart check or not, I guess we'll see. And, you know, if you look at WeWork, the people who really got screwed as investors are the ones who came in later, not the ones who wrote some of the earliest checks. So Andreessen may have actually made a pretty smart move here backing Newman early, but it all remains to be seen. We shall see. Maybe fodder for another very long podcast someday. Okay, Ellen Hewitt, thank you. housing market is quickly changing. Homes are more unaffordable than they've been in 40 years and home sales have fallen for six months straight. The home buyer affordability index is at its lowest point since 1989, which means, in theory, more than half of families can't get on the property ladder. Still, the online housing business is growing and Better.com wants a leg up on that ladder, partnering with Palantir to create a new mortgage platform that'll aim to leverage data to help borrowers qualify for better loans. Here to discuss, Better CEO, Vishal Garg. Vishal, thank you so much for joining us. So how will this marketplace work exactly? Well, thank you so much, Emily. Uh, we have 32 major institutional investors that are on our platform today that actively buy loans. And what this will permit them to do is to use far more granular data to uh, make loans uh, to uh, CRA eligible loans, uh, low moderate income eligible loans, loans for homes with solar, things that have traditionally been very difficult for mortgage investors to uh, provide discounts on or to make more affordable. Yeah, we're heading into what could be a very prolonged economic downturn. We're already in it. You know, it, this is never a good time for the housing market. Why do you think now is the right time to launch this? I think affordability matters more than ever before. And we've got $3 trillion of capital that's been raised for ESG funds. And most of it never makes its way into the mortgage market. So by creating Bloomberg for Loans effectively, working with Palantir, what we're gonna be able to do is help families that are in sectors that are favored by ESG investors actively connect with those investors and effectively be able to lower their cost of home ownership. Now, what are the challenges that you think you're going to face in trying to build out a home mortgage business at a time when the housing market is slumping, if not crashing? I think the demand for houses is down, but there's still millions of homes being bought and sold every year in the United States today. And Better.com has grown fairly rapidly. We've grown from nothing to doing almost 100 billion of mortgages uh, this year. And um, so while the market is down, we are still less than 1% market share. And we hope that we can continue to grow. And by making housing more equitable, 
we can actually grow uh, addressing one of the issues that uh, most homeowners face today. You got a huge capital infusion from SoftBank. Is this you putting that capital to work? And, and how else should we see you putting that money to work? Yeah, we, we did get a huge capital infusion from SoftBank and making homeownership more equitable while driving our business is the most wonderful type of innovation that we can hope for. And so this is at the cutting edge. By partnering with Palantir, what we were gonna do in five to 10 years uh, we've been able to leverage our SoftBank capital to actually make live uh, this year. Now, I have to ask you about this. The macro picture, of course, has been challenging for a lot of companies in the last year. You've had layoffs, laid off 9% of the company, 900 people you laid off via Zoom, then an additional 3,000. I know you got a lot of heat for that. When you look back on that, what would you have done differently? What do you think went wrong? I think we did a lot of things that were very wrong. Um, I should have handled the layoffs with more care and more empathy. We were very lucky that because of the fact that we're a digital mortgage company and a digital home ownership platform, we were actually able to see the downturn in the market that is evidence today and that you see many, many other mortgage originators laying off thousands of people. We were able to see that as early as late last year. And so we've been able to get ahead of it. We've been able to downsize to a burn. We've taken over a billion dollars in expense line items out of the company's cost structure. And we're using that savings to now innovate and continue to serve customers. So what are you doing differently now to manage costs, to manage hiring, to make sure you've learned from those lessons that something like that doesn't happen again? I think managing uh, the up and down cycle of the cyclicality of the mortgage industry is something that's new to us. We're again only a six-year-old company and there are companies in the mortgage space that have been able to manage that far superior to us. So what we're keeping our pulse on is uh, customer demand, uh, customer demand specifically for new products and legging into growing those new products, not at the rate that we did in 2020 where we grew almost 800%, but slowly legging into customer demand rather than what in startup land you get taught to do, which is to blitz scale. You're also being sued by one of your former executives, Sarah Pierce, alleging you misled investors in the process of trying to go public via SPAC. She's also alleging retaliation. The SEC is now looking into this. What's your response to all of this? I think it's very hard for me to comment on matters that are in active litigation or the subject of an SEC inquiry. All I can say is every day we wake up and we find gratification in helping make home ownership cheaper, faster, and better for more and more American families. And um, the more we can keep on doing that, uh, the better the world will be. You're also trying to take the company public, I believe still via SPAC, and I, I know there's a deadline coming up for that. Is that still the plan? And, um, you know, especially given that the SPAC market has fizzled, how are you thinking about whether now is really the right time? We're evaluating all of our opportunities. And uh, again, I can't comment publicly on it. All I can say is that we remain committed to achieving greater capitalization so that we can have the funding to serve our customers. 
and we're open to all the different options out there uh, that enable us to continue to be really well capitalized. So I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. We've been talking a lot about the funding that Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork, just received the biggest check ever from Andreessen Horowitz to, you know, potentially revolutionize residential real estate, or at least that's what Mark Andreessen seems uh, to be hoping for, according to his blog post. What do you make of that funding? I am so happy that the venture capital community and entrepreneurs are still interested in revolutionizing the residential real estate market. Here we have a $40 trillion industry where consumers still pay 6% to buy or sell a home, where consumers spend over 10% of the value of their home just transacting, uh, where it takes 60 days to transact. And so there are so many aspects of the residential real estate market that need to be uh, optimized and made work for consumers rather than brokers or transactional intermediaries. And uh, we really welcome the fact that there's going to be more innovation and more capital and more innovation in the space. Even if it's going to Adam Newman, who at the very least is a very controversial founder? Adam Newman is a controversial founder, but he did revolutionize the idea of office space. Many of our offices are in WeWork space. And so while I can't speak to any and all of the opinions that are out there in the market about him, uh, we are delighted users of the product that he helped create. And so uh, if he can do the same for residential real estate, good luck. All right. Michelle Gard, CEO of Better, will be watching your marketplace and following this new partnership with Palantir. Thank you for joining Thanks. us. Much more coming up right after this break. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Qualcomm is taking another run at the market for server chips in an effort to decrease its reliance on smartphones. The company seeking customers for a product stemming from last year's purchase of the chip startup Nuvia. This according to Bloomberg sources. They also say Amazon's AWS is one of the biggest server chip buyers and has agreed to take a look at what Qualcomm has to offer. China is lashing out at a $52 billion program to expand American manufacturing of semiconductors. An industry association says it contains elements that violate fair market principles and targets China's own efforts to build a chip-making industry. The legislation prohibits companies that receive funding from expanding production of advanced chips in China. 
And it's the biggest annual television deal ever for a college sports conference. The Big Ten has reached an agreement on a seven-year contract with Fox, CBS, and NBC. According to the Wall Street Journal, this is worth about $7.5 billion. The price of college football broadcast rights has soared, and no one's cashed in more than the Big Ten and the Southeastern Conference, both of which are expanding to 16 teams. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. Incredible Health, a career marketplace for permanent healthcare workers, announced $80 million in Series B funding. The company's valuation now $1.65 billion, unicorn status. This at a time when the nursing shortage is still a huge problem in the United States. A recent report from McKinsey estimating the U.S. will be short at least 200,000 registered nurses by 2025. Let's bring in Dr. Iman Abouzid now for more on this. She's the CEO and co-founder of Incredible Health. Dr. Abouzid, great to have you back here on the show. You talked about the nursing shortage right here earlier in the pandemic. What's that shortage like now? So the big difference that's happened in the last you know, 12 months is that this is a, this is a workforce that is um, overworked, burnt out, uh, and experiencing excessive stress. Our most near, recent third annual uh, report on nurses in the U.S. showed that one-third of nurses are considering leaving the profession permanently by the end of the year. So how has the pandemic changed, you know, potentially this industry for the longer term? I mean, are we expecting the impact of the pandemic to impact the availability of nurses for years to come? Absolutely. I mean, even before the pandemic, our demand for healthcare as a country kept was increasing because our population is aging. But pandemics are certainly demand shocks on the system that put more constraints on the more strain on the healthcare system and and the need for even more healthcare workers to fill to fill that demand. The CDC just announced a huge overhaul of the agency, acknowledging mistakes they made during the pandemic, uh, acknowledging a need to be more nimble and respond more quickly. What do you think went wrong there? I mean, there were certainly some challenges with, with how the CDC collaborated and, and the way the commu- they communicated with the public, which, you know, they have some responsibility in terms of, of, of how uh, intense and challenging COVID became in the U.S. And that, you know, in effect, ha- affected the healthcare workforce as well. They were massively overworked. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully with these changes, when, there, when and if there is a future pandemic, uh, you know, it won't affect or decimate the work, the healthcare workforce as much as this last pandemic did. What are the implications for the doctor and hospital marketplace? What are you seeing on your platform? Um, you know, what, what we're seeing is, you know, we, you know, we now work with over 600 hospitals and health systems across 25 states, including very large ones like Kaiser Permanente and HCA Healthcare and academic medical centers as well, like Johns Hopkins and Cedars-Sinai and others. And, uh, you know, every single one of these hospital executives that we're working with is dealing with this problem. Uh, they are uh, they are tackling you know, shortages and, and understaffing on, on all their nursing units. There's even 30% of the employers on our platform are now using us for new graduate nurses, which was not the case before the pandemic. So th- this, this challenge is continuing to increase and labor expenses and labor costs is, is, is negatively impacting hospital financials as well. How do you hope Incredible Health will help bridge some of these gaps? 
Yeah, so, you know, our, our focus is on ensuring that nurses are able to get their, the best permanent roles, but we also invest heavily in, in features and tools for nurses that are completely free. We offer free continuing education for nurses, free salary estimators. We even have an advice platform uh, for nurses built into our apps. And we want to continue investing in that, including skill growth, educational scholarships, relocation support, in order to make sure that the Incredible Health is a place where n- nurses can manage their careers instead of only the place where they find their permanent job. Meantime, the U.S. is dealing with another, some would call it a crisis, uh, the Roe versus Wade decision from the Supreme Court. Um, is this at all impacting your platform and the workers on your platform, especially those working in states where abortion is restricted? Yeah, so it's not affecting uh, the Incredible Health platform, but the, it does affect the nursing workforce in, in a couple of different ways. First, there's going to be an increase in volume of patients uh, because when you restrict you know, that, that care, you know, you're going to have more ectopic and more, more life-threatening uh, pregnancies. Um, so th- that in- increases the workload on the healthcare workers. Secondly, you know, they have to consider the legal ramifications when they are supporting and counseling uh, patients. And so they have to be very aware of their code of ethics as well as the legal uh, regulations that they have to follow in their state and in their hospital. Uh, and then finally, you know, it'll continue. It, it, you know, the, the vaccine ban- mandates were <clears throat> extremely um uh, controversial, and so is Roe v. Wade, even among healthcare workers. So that you'll have healthcare workers that are going to be on both sides of this of this discussion, which creates more, you know, angst and and the debate and discussion and intensity in the workplace. So, how are you expecting this to play out over the next several years, where you know this could potentially happen in more states? You're, you know, talking about a bottleneck potentially already. You know, where are we three years from now? Uh, I, I mean, we are. Every report we read, every projection shows that the sh- the shortage of workers is is projected to continue uh, unless we can do more to support this workforce and grow this workforce. The one positive that came out of the pandemic and and, and you know the CDC changes, even Roe v. Wade, is it put more emphasis on the importance of the healthcare uh, workforce and how we need it to deliver care. All right, uh, Iman Abouzid, Incredible Health CEO and co-founder. Good to have you back here on the show, um, and appreciate uh, all your insights there. Meantime, tech stocks are staging a comeback generally after a brutal start to the year. The Nasdaq 100 was down 31% a month ago. Now it's down 17% year to date. Joining me now, Miriam Rivera, co-founder and CEO and managing director of Ulu Ventures, a seed stage firm with $200 million in assets under management. cautious, Miriam, would you say you are right now in this investing environment? Well, I've been in Silicon Valley since 1982, so I've gone through many cycles here. And one of the things that tends to happen is that there's a bit of overreaction oftentimes when we have uh, these big dips in the public stock markets as well as um, financings that have kind of become so large and have promoted growth at all costs, including profitability. And eventually the pendulum swings in the other direction, but it tends to swing too far. And that's what we're seeing now. As I understand it, your firm actually made a record number of investments in the last quarter, 20 investments, I believe. Why is that? Well, we look at risk adjusted return. And while we have seen the risk go up, 
the and we account for that in terms of how we make investment decisions and in our financial models that we use to um, power our process. What we see is that a lot of folks don't um, they overreact to the news. They don't know where to actually um, look at increasing the risk in their models, and oftentimes that generates uh, fear, <laughs> just fear, and makes people hold back capital at a time when actually it's a good time to be investing because many people are sitting on the sidelines and not sure how to price and our financial process really allows us to price at the seed stage very well and to encompass that additional risk in still trying to achieve the same 10x probability weighted multiple that we look for in each investment. Well, let's talk about that pricing because it seems investors would be at an advantage right now. You know, we're hearing about flat rounds, down rounds, you know, obviously that we're, we're seeing layoffs, there's talk of more layoffs. What's actually happening behind the scenes, um, you know, as these investments are continuing to be made? Those are many of the things that are actually happening, you've described very well. Uh, but a lot of that is really happening at the later stages in venture where the pricing impact of what happens in the public capital markets has a larger impact. What tends to happen um, in the earlier stages such as seed is that you don't see such large fluctuations in valuations um, as you have seen recently, kind of towards the end of these cycles where people um, are doing growth at all costs, you tend to have higher pricing at the seed stage, but not as much as at later stages. And so we do see people doing more flat rounds. Um, we haven't seen a lot of down rounds um, yet in our portfolio, but I do think that that is not an uncommon thing to happen. And these kind of holding the price constant right now often does help entrepreneurs to get additional capital so they can weather these cycles. And these cycles tend to be you know, less than a couple of years for the most part. So as long as they're well situated, it's not your price today. It's kind of where you think you can be two years from now in terms of the metrics and outcomes that your investors are going to be looking for at that stage that's really important. Now, very successful companies were founded during downturns. The most recent downturn, Airbnb, Slack, Instagram, Square, you go back to the 80s, Microsoft uh, was founded during a downturn. How optimistic are you that you know, one of these world-changing companies is being founded right now? Well, I'd say that there are more of these world-changing companies being founded today than ever before and across more technology sectors than ever before. So I'm very optimistic. Uh, I am a very long-term investor and believe that technology uh, stocks are a place where both individual investors and institutional investors should be because the wave of technology that is occurring now in terms of the market sizes that are possible on the internet, there are 5 billion users on the internet. When I first started um, in 1995 as counsel on an IPO for an internet company, there were 39 million users. So these markets are vast. They've never been possible um, to access in this way before, and they're going to continue to be a dominant force in the economy moving forward. 
So curious, Miriam, what your thoughts are on Andreessen Horowitz recently writing its biggest check ever to Adam Newman, obviously controversial founder of WeWork. You know, there's been a lot of criticism of this. We also spoke to a founder earlier in the show who uh, praised um, the decision by um, Andreessen Horowitz. What's your take? I'm always of two minds. One is I believe that um, people make mistakes and I don't believe in canceling people. Uh, I also uh, believe uh, that we have really benefited um, as a technology sector from some of the work of WeWork. Before, companies used to have fixed costs in terms of real estate space, and now more and more companies have a much more variable approach to uh, what was really once a very large part of their cost curve. So the, these kinds of innovations, um, they do come with good and bad. I remember in your book, you talked about um, kind of the brotopia and the culture of uh, venture and also entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley. And I definitely have a lot of issues with that as well. But I also recognize when innovation has really changed how work gets done and where it gets done. Uh, Mary Rivera, Ulu Ventures co-founder and CEO. Appreciate you stopping by. Thank okay, you so much. next up, the Ethereum merge. It's finally coming. We've got all the details next. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year, that's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Time now for our crypto report, and let's talk about the merge. The core developers working on the software upgrade of the Ethereum blockchain have now firmed up September 15th as the likely official date. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Olga Karee for more on this. So Olga, is this the last likely date? <laughs> How likely is it it's actually going to happen on this date? I know there has been uh, a bunch of dates thrown around in the past week or so. Uh, last week, uh, we knew it would happen probably in September, but now we know it's going to be probably September 15th. But this date could still change because uh, Ethereum developers are basically uh, looking to see how many uh, computers are supporting the network. If uh, the number of these computers declines rapidly, they might pull forward the date. So it could still change. And what will change once the merge happens? So uh, basically what will change is uh, the power consumption of the uh, Ethereum network. It will decline by uh, more than 99%. So today... Uh, 
transactions on the net network are ordered by computers called miners that take up a lot of energy. And after this upgrade, it's going to be done differently in a much more energy efficient way. What are the implications for other blockchains? I think some of the older blockchains that still use miners, still use this uh, power-hungry computers, might feel more pressure to switch uh, to something more environmentally friendly as well. But the fact is a lot of the newer blockchains already use a sort of similar technologies to what Ethereum is moving to. So um, I think we'll see more investments into this type of blockchains. All right. Uh, well, uh, lots to continue to watch here. We will hone in on September 15th. Uh, Bloomberg's Olga Karif. Thank you. Nine-figure paychecks, once a rarity, are now proliferating despite critics on Capitol Hill and beyond. As the U.S. was still grappling with the pandemic and new variants, 2021 was in fact the most lavish year on record for executive compensation by almost any measure, with pay deals of more than $100 million in value, according to the Bloomberg Pay Index. And the pack is being led once again by Elon Musk. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Anders Mellon for more on this. So Anders, tell us who is getting these paychecks. Elon and who else? It's Elon, it's Tim Cook, it's the CEOs of Rivian and Lucid. Uh, you have a couple of finance guys in there, sprinkle in um, Brian Armstrong at Coinbase. And um, the list looks quite similar as it has in past years. It's, it's a lot of men and most of them tend to be white. There are a few women uh, this year. There was one woman up there from Coty, the beauty. You know what? I remember the days when Steve Jobs paid himself a dollar or something, but obviously had a ton of equity in Apple. How unprecedented is this? Well, it's interesting. I thought when I started covering executive pay a few years ago that you would almost, we would start to see more of a shift to the $1 CEO because you have a lot of CEOs out there that are quite wealthy, especially with, with the bull market that ran for so long. But instead, it's almost been a shift in the opposite direction. And a lot of that uh, really harks back to Elon Musk, who in 2018 got the biggest pay package that has ever been granted to a company executive in which he would earn tens of billions of dollars over the course of about a decade through a generous grant of stock options with very audacious goals attached to them. What many companies did um, was to say, this looks really interesting. And they went out and they constructed similar pay packages for their CEOs. And that's what we're now seeing popping up here and there across corporate America, not just in tech, but also in other, uh, in other places too. And that's what's really driving this trend. It's interesting to see some of the names on this list. RJ Scaringe, for example, the CEO of Rivian. I mean, Rivian just got a car on the road, just. How are companies justifying these numbers? So I should caveat these figures with saying that this is the figures that we published today is what these pay packages were worth at the end of fiscal 2021, when, as we know, equity markets look quite differently than they do today. However, um, we know that Historically, things have, have tend to pan out pretty well for company executives. What companies say with these packages is that 
this is what we need to motivate our, our top guy or gal, but it's most often a guy. And this is uh, reflective of his or her skills and what other CEOs out there get paid. Um, so a lot of it has to do really with what does the rest of the landscape look like. And that's why you get these sort of butterfly effects from Elon gets a grant, then somebody else gets a grant, and then all of a sudden you have the domino effect. Whereas if you saw more dollar CEOs, especially high-profile CEOs, just take a buck and not, nothing more, then I think you would see that proliferate uh, to, to a different extent too. You just wrote a piece that crossed about Ryan Cohen that he made $68 million on the sale of his Bed Bath & Beyond stake this week. Uh, some people are not happy about it. We were talking about the potential for regulatory issues earlier. Um, you know, what do we know about kind of the timeline um, and why he did this? We don't know so much about why he did it. We know that he started acquiring the stake back in January. He held it for about seven months, and then he, he offloaded it this week. Uh, and it came on the heels of a bit of a rally in the stock after it was disclosed earlier this week that he had, in fact, held on to the, the stake for, for that long, okay. and, and that led to some talk on Twitter. Um, we're not really sure about the motives, but we do know that it netted him quite a nice profit. Well, I'm sure someone's looking into that. Uh, Bloomberg's Anders Mellon, thank you, as always, for joining us. And that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to hear from Eric Vishria, Benchmark Capital, why he thinks Apple is skirting regulators busy with Amazon and Facebook. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.